As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's time! With Bruce Buffer. And now, it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. We are It's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer. From the shores of Malibu, where the waves are pumping, to the Great Wall of China, and back to the streets of Las Vegas, where the UFC is coming. We are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show where we talk about what you think about but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will voice it for you. We talk about everything on It's Time. Politics, Trump, Biden, you name it. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, and UFC. And I'm here with my co-host, TJ DeSantis. TJ, how are you? I'm good, Bruce. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm amped. I'm ready for the big show this weekend, but I'm very excited about the show today. I have one of my favorite people in the world on from the world of the UFC, the world of entertainment, the world of film. So right now, it's time to bring on the former UFC middleweight champion, the former Cage Rage light heavyweight champion, and the ultimate fighter three light heavyweight tournament winner, none other than the Count Michael Bisbing. Michael, how are you? Bruce, that is how you do an introduction. Oh, my word. I mean, I do a podcast and we say, hey, guys, how are you? You <laughs> knock it out of the park each and every single time. I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Michael. That's why they pay me the big bucks. I got to come together sometime, but you deserve every ounce of it. I got to tell you, not only are you one of my favorite fighters of all time, not only are you one of my favorite fighters introduced of all time and to watch of all time. You're the friggin' bionic man, Michael. I mean, knees, both knees replaced. I think you had your back worked on. Two weeks ago, you go in where they shove your neck to the side, go into the back, adjust whatever they do. And I see you at the show on Saturday. I'm like, what the frig? What's going yeah. on here? You're bionic. It's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you, uh, you know, all those years training and whatnot, they do take the toll. I mean, I, I have zero regrets, zero right. regrets. But, uh, you know, a long a lifelong martial artist, a lifelong fighter, you know, th these things happen. To be yeah. honest, the injuries come from the training really more so than the actual fights. The fights compared to the training that you go through is pretty easy. But yeah, you know, so I got the fake eye, I got the fake knees, and now I got a, a fake neck still recovering. And uh, a lot of people, as you said, were like, what are you doing work back to work so early? But I'll be honest, the... Uh, I was very, very nervous going into that surgery, you know, because as you said, they come through the front of the neck, push my throat to the side, take a disc out, put it in a titanium plate, four screws. I mean, that sounds gruesome, uh, but it, it was pretty easy, to be honest. Yeah, so the recovery, first few days was a little, you know, a little groggy, having to take a bunch of pills and whatnot, but... Uh, yeah, now I'm good. Now, the only problem now is that I'm doing too much, and I'm, I'm sure I should still be taking it easy, but I just finished a good workout in the garage. Michael, you're the guy who had his knee replaced for the second time and was jumping out of bed the next day, and when I, I told you, when I saw that on TMZ, I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, what are you doing? I've had knee surgeries, too, and it's like, you don't do that. You know, I never had it replaced, but, you know, 
still. Yeah. Well, you gave me a very nice introduction at the beginning. One thing you didn't say was that I was smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Listen, I'm my own worst enemy sometimes. I know for a fact I was driving my doctors crazy because I put some things on Instagram and they're like, what are you doing? You got to take it easy, Michael. And then I'm like, oh, damn, I forgot my doctors follow me. Yeah, exactly. You know, Michael, you're so diversified in what you're doing. We all know about your glorious career and it is a glorious career. There's no quite legendary career, Hall of Fame. Thank you. Status. No question. Without question. You know, and you're acting, which I'm very proud of you of. You know, I, I love film. I'm a film buff. I studied acting as a kid. You and I've talked about acting. And I've told you from the beginning that my opinion of you is that just like, you know, the Vinnies of this world and other, but I think even more so you have a wider range. I really think you're a character actor's dream. When people hire you for a film, they hire you because sure you're Michael Bisbing, but you can come out of the box of Michael Bisbing and be more, whether it's a great villain, whether it's, you know, something else. Now you just got done or you completed the journeyman, right? The, no, the no, 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 no. So, so the, and thank you, by the way, Bruce, I really yeah. appreciate those words. Uh, yeah, no, the journeyman hasn't started production yet. We're, it hasn't started. Okay. It's still in pre-production. I just finished filming shooting, uh, never back down revolt. Uh, we shot that one in London. Always great to be working on those type of projects. Of course, very blessed to get any kind of acting work because it's such a competitive industry, yeah. but that job was freezing cold. <laughs> it was miserable. <laughs> I went back to London for three weeks and of course, always nice to be home, but my word, the cold weather uh i've gone soft living in california let me tell you that i was <laughs> seven in the morning till nine o'clock at night long days in like this basement covered in ice and snow yeah it was cold but uh a great time yeah thank you coming from the world of every joint in your body being abused how does it feel when you go from the warm california air to the cold air you know considering what you're going through yeah, to be honest, the joints weren't too bad. Do you know what I no, mean? I'm just, no. I, I literally have gone soft. It's just feeling the cold in general <laughs> was too much for me. But uh, no, it was great. And uh, yeah, you know, the acting side of thing is, it, it, it's going okay. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. So I do a lot of auditions. As soon as I finish this today, I've got an audition. I'm pretty confident about this role, though. It's playing an English MMA guy that has cauliflower ears. And it's, oh, for, a HBO, it's for a HBO show. My age is like, this, he should not even have to do a tape. This is your guy. So, uh, <laughs> but, but fingers crossed. But yeah, no, it, it's fun. You know, now I'm not fighting anymore. The actual, um, you know, it kind of settles those competitive urges that I have because I don't compete anymore. But going in and doing auditions, it's another type of competition. So, yeah, I do really enjoy it. It's another type of competition, absolutely. But I, I've been on movie sets and I have filmed a fight scene one time myself. And I know film so well what it takes to film these fight scenes. Like I was watching Kill Bill the other night when Uma Thurman was taking on the uh, the 88 crew in the restaurant, you know, and you realize yep. that probably took two months or more to film You know, when you think about it. But when you go through the rehearsals, like who's your co-stars in this film that you were just in? Uh, in that one there. Um, hold on, hold on. My mind's gone blank. Who's the... Uh... No, no one you would have really heard of, to be honest. A lot of fantastic ladies in there. Obviously, this movie's about lady and female empowerment. Never back down. Revolt. I play the bad guy that, that, that uh, I'm a sex trafficker. I've kidnapped all these women. Wonderful. Eventually. eventually <laughs> yeah, always a nice guy, Bruce. I'm always, maybe one day I'll be a good guy. But uh, yeah, so uh, a, a lot of up and coming talent in that one. But, you know, when you film fight scenes, I mean, I think you'll attest to the fact, and I've talked to fighters that have been involved, like fighters have told me, like Boss Root, and he said he got hurt more doing wrestling in Japan, and Goldberg told me the same thing than anything else they did, right? And then you go into the rehearsal and the fight scenes, it's very physical. 
you know, and, and a lot of fighters have a hard time adapting to fight scenes in film because you're not really fighting. You know, you got to mm. pull the punches and the angles and all. Has that been an easy transition for you? And in some of the fight scenes you've been in, would you call it work when you're doing that rehearsal? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And to your point, excuse me, I just downed the protein shit right before we started. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of repeating on me a little bit, so I do apologize. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So when I first started, you know, working in film, the, the fight choreographers were always very wary of me and they always kind of babied me like, Michael, this is very different. And I'm like, yes, I know. I'm not trying to knock the person out. I get it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, no, there is there is definitely an art to learning how to fight on film, you know, making it look real without actually hurting them, you know. So that's going to be priority number one, that you don't hurt anybody. And uh, to your point, definitely is a workout. Definitely is a workout. I did a Warrior last year, which is a Bruce Lee show. Yeah. And in one of the fight scenes, I run up this big, tall guy and I do like a, a triangle on him, but I'm on, on his shoulders. And when I saw the... Uh, the little stuntman, when I got to Cape Town in South Africa, they're like, okay, here's what you're going to do. And I'm watching the scene. I'm like, okay, 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 this is bait. And then the guy runs up this guy's shoulders and has a triangle by the guy standing. And I'm like, you really think I'm going to be able to do that? And anyway, they showed me how to do it. And uh, I was able to do it eventually with a lot of practice. But to your point, it, it is hard work. And I actually, that was part of the reason I, I had to have my second knee replacement because I tore something in my knee running up him and rehearsing it, you know? So, uh, wow. yeah, no, it definitely is hard work. You know, it's like you look at films like John Wick, like John Wick 3 with Halle Berry and, and uh, Keanu Reeves, which that move you mentioned, they both do repeatedly throughout the film. Mm. But just the work that goes into that, you know, I have a lot of respect for actors. I mean, actors act. Sure. It's like Dana said, all actors want to be fighters. All fighters want to be actors. But when you get down to the nick gritty of making a film like that, not easy, not no, easy. No, and no. you get hurt. That's why yeah, they no, have. No. That's why, Sorry, Bruce, no, that's, yeah, why that's why they have stuntmen. No, that's why they have stuntmen. That's why they have stuntmen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember because obviously I only have one eye, and uh, and a fine eye it is. A oh, fine eye. it's a good one, Bruce. <laughs> but uh, um, so my depth perception isn't what it is, right? So I remember ah. uh, a good friend of mine, Noel Clark. He's he's a pretty big deal in the UK. Very well known actor, producer, and director. And he gave me. Uh, I was playing uh, like the lead bad guy, some Russian called Sergio in his movie. And in this one scene, we walk in. And, and I've got some, you know, some like henchmen, if you will. And he beats them all up and then he comes to me. And all it is, is very simple. He throws one punch and I move out the way and I grab his hand and I just go, boom, and I give him a right hook. So we rehearse it. We do it many times. Yep, easy, easy, got it. But when we did it for real, I wanted it to look good. And remember, my eye had only just happened and the depth perception wasn't what it is. And I've learned how to adjust. But anyway, I wanted it to look good. So he comes and I, I catch his hand and go, woof. And I swing it and I just felt only ever so slightly, just a little ding. I just kind of clipped him a little bit. And anyway, he goes down and I'm like, no. <laughs> and anyway, he lies on the floor and he doesn't move and he just goes, because he couldn't move his jaw. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh my God, if this guy's jaw's broken, the entire movie's down. He's, he's the star, he's the director and he's the producer. I'm like, oh my word. But he was fine. He was fine. And in fact, he was happy that that happened because for the next two, three years, all he did was go around telling everybody that he took one of my best shots and, you know, continued working that day, which isn't the reality. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy this business. He, he's, he's basically bragging to everybody how when he makes movies, he puts realism into his movies. Is what yeah, he's exactly. 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 Yeah. You know, when in the world of uh, film, 
again, what you're saying now and the progression and evolution of your career since we started talking about that, that's a fighter. I love that. <laughs> um, progression of your career, you're working consistently. What I predicted or what I saw is happening. You as a character actor, being the type of actor that you are, because I've seen pretty much every film that you've been in, you know, I, I search them out when they happen. And you've got that character actor quality. And that's like guys like my buddy Ray Liotta, one of the finest characters walking around. John C. Riley, who I did Holmes and Watson with, that has expanded his career to many different things. Character actors work forever, mm -hmm. right? Where stars can come and go. It's really sure. funny how this happens. So you're putting it together. You're doing the, the you're pounding the boards. You're doing the auditions. You're doing the work and it's paying off, Michael. I've been in this game a long time in the entertainment industry. And I'm telling you, you're going to be working consistently forever. Okay. Well, thank you, Bruce. That's very, very kind. And you know what? I'll never forget. It was 2006, June. I want to say 26, 2006. I just won the ultimate fighter. And you uh, came over and you said some very, very nice words, Bruce. And, and, oh, and you said, you. you know, you're going to have a great career. You've got a bright future, Michael. You've got a great personality. You've got some star quality. You, you said some very, very nice things that I'll never thank forget. You. And uh, yeah, and it was very, very kind of you, Bruce. I was a young, well, 25-year-old kid. It was my first time in America. You know, everything was so new and uh, it was a great experience. And as I say, I'll never forget the words you said to me. So thank you, Bruce. I appreciate them. Well meant. And uh, just absolutely well met. And it's been a pleasure with our friendship growing over the years and watching your career grow, your family, your beautiful family, the whole nine yards. So very, all the respect in the world. Thank you Thank so you. much, Michael. I appreciate those kind words, which is another reason why when I set out on my path to create Puncher's Chance, this was created. Thank you, Michael. Plug this was alert. Created, plug alert. Plug alert. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, but the reason this was created and the reason I got involved and put everything into this that I have is because of people like you, Michael. It's because this is what my life has been. I've been the underdog my whole life, up against all odds, trying to succeed, whether it's standing toe-to-toe, -to -toe, somebody want to take my head off in the street, or in business, standing toe-to-toe, -to -toe, wanting to make the best deal I can, such as something like this, or creating a, a career for myself in the Octagon, mm. which I celebrate. Get this, Michael, next week, February 16th, 25 years. In the Get Octagon, out of town. My 25th anniversary. This will be my 25th anniversary show coming up Saturday. Unreal. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. 25 well, years. Good for you, Bruce. Incredible. And if yeah. anybody knows your story, which if they listen to this podcast, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Insane. Insane. Thank yeah. Thank you. So with that being said, I took a puncher's chance. I got you a bottle because you're the epitome of why I made this and what this is all about. Have you tried it yet? You know, I, we, I tried some when I was working with you. I don't know when yes, it was. Yes, there was yes. a fight. There was a fight a couple of months ago or so. And I had a little bit then, but you gave me this one on Saturday night and I've, I'm saving it for now. The grand ah, so, crack it, crack it. Let's yeah, have here a we go. Here we go. Are you a, total, are you a bourbon drinker, Michael? Total honesty, Michael. Yeah, no, total honesty. <sighs> I mean, I got to be careful what I say because a lot of people have, I have this reputation of being a big drinker. And when I was a kid, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was a pretty big drinker at the weekends, but uh, these days, not so much, but to answer your question, not really a bourbon guy, but I do appreciate it. You know, I'm more of a vodka, but I, I don't really drink a lot these days, believe it or not. People think I do. I don't, I might have a couple of glasses of wine in the evening and that's about it, you know, but uh, that's perfect. Uh, that's perfect. Smells fantastic. Uh, here we go. Here we go. 11 o'clock in the morning, the guy's drinking bourbon. I'm, I'm playing into so many stereotypes. Like if Dana White sees this right now, he's like, oh, yeah, no surprise. There he is. That prick Bispin. Wow, that's really good, Bruce. Hold on. That's nice. Smooth. 
You see, he's he's really he's really tasting it, Bruce. He's tasting I mean, it. if he's he didn't like it. it, if he didn't like it, he wanted to go on back for a third no, no, drink. No, no, that's there. really nice. Yeah, as I say, I'm not a big bourbon guy, but I do drink. You know, I do enjoy yeah. everything. Let's be honest. Uh, but that's really really nice. I could get into that. It's very a little spicy. I sent some caramel in there. You got yeah. it. Yeah, it's nice, Bruce. Good. Yeah. You know, Michael, thank you for that. We just got a ninety-five. Thank you so much. We just got a 95% uh, percent rating. One more one more time. Hold the bottle up and click bottles with me. Yeah. Cheers, cheers baby. Cheers, brother. Cheers, brother. So we just got a 95 uh, percentage rating, 9.5 out of 10 from the tasting board that rates all the, the spirits and the liquors, which makes us the highest rated bourbon in the United States at its price level. Wow. And it's selling. Yeah. We're so excited about that. Yahoo covered us. It, it wrote a story. Puncher's Chance a pandemic success story because we were selling faster than any new bourbon out of the gate. 10,000 cases in three months. We're going to hit 35,000 cases this year. That so means I'm you got to adjust the price point though, right, Bruce? I mean, if you're the best tasting for the price, that means you should be charging people more. No, because here's the secret of success. And, and to some extent, and I really analyze business like this. I can't see Michael right now. TJ is either. He's there. I'm here. I'm okay, here, okay. bud. So, um, what it is is basically this is a, this bourbon supposed to retail at sixty dollars. We purposely price it at thirty. Wow! The, reason, the price point to get it out there. We're making mm. plenty. We got it's all working great. So right out of the gate, big hit. Very excited, and Michael. I'll have a big uh, thing for you. I, I, what else did you try this weekend? I think I hit you with my cologne, didn't I? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the cologne as well, which is very nice. You know, I gotta say, Bruce, uh, and and a lot of people, you know, when they get a platform, they don't necessarily use it to their fullest advantage. And yeah. I gotta say, Bruce, it's inspirational seeing what you've done. And and a lot of people listening might be like, oh, all they're doing is kissing each other's asses. But it's true, Bruce, <laughs> because you've had you know this platform. You're the voice of the octagon, and it's it's you know th there's no other person like you, but Oh, to see you. what you've done with it, to see what you've done with it, that's what I'm talking about. That's really inspirational, from the whiskey to the, the 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 sorry the bourbon to the the cologne to the branching out into movies. Everything that you've done, it's really mind blowing, Bruce. It really is. It's it's, it's inspirational. That's why. It's inspiration for me to watch you, and that's why whenever there's an opportunity for me to plug you into something, like maybe in the near future in Puncher's Chance or the Cologne, you're going to get a phone call from me. Because Please do. I recognize talent, I recognize ability, and I recognize good people, and that's why I'm always in your corner. Thank Period. you, sir. That's the way it goes. With that being said, as we do our buddy-buddy thing here, thank you for the review of Puncher's Chance. I really appreciate it. You know, as UFC goes forward and what we witnessed last week, last week was a, was a solid show, but Michael... I don't ever want to see anybody get hurt. I don't ever want to see anybody get hurt badly on my shift. Mm. I have so much respect for you and all these great female and male octagon warriors. Frankie Edgar coming out against the formidable Corey San Sanhagen, who is just doing nothing but showing the world his capabilities. But to see Frankie go out like that in 26 or 28 seconds, mm. man, sometimes I just get affected watching fights, you know? And I got in the octagon and Corey came up to me and I just feel so bad. I feel so bad, you know, and I'm sure maybe I know how you get with fighters and how much you can get. But has there ever been a fighter that you took out that maybe you liked that you just felt bad that it went that way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll try and think of one as I'm talking. But, you know, for, for me, of course, as a martial artist, I, I love to see the knockout. OK, yeah, I admire sure. 
the skill that it takes. I don't take any enjoyment though of seeing somebody led on the floor unconscious. Right. That to me, you know, that that's shocking. I don't think anybody enjoys that unless you're a piece of dirt, you know, unless you're a dirt bag or you have a real problem with somebody. You shouldn't enjoy seeing that. But I do admire the skill and the technique that it takes to do that. You know, for yes. Corey Sandhagen, that move that he did, the, the, the flying knee was delivered with such perfect technique and he set him up brilliantly he corralled him into it he backed up he backed up he circled because he knew frankie was going to follow you know and as he was following boom just changed direction and it, it was a beautiful setup the technique was delivered fantastically so yeah so that i admire but seeing frankie let on the floor mm. and of course then you know frankie this is frankie Edgar we're talking about the man is mixed martial arts royalty um he'll be in the hall of fame for sure one day and you know it is sad but unfortunately, this is the business that we're in. And nobody knows that better than Frankie Edgar. Frankie, you know, he's he's delivered knockouts like that, knocked out Chad Mendes in ferocious fashion with a beautiful left hook. Right. And I'm sure there's many, many others that I'm forgetting to mention. But he's a fighter who's been around longer than anybody. And he knows the consequences. The consequences, so you step in there, for want of a better expression, it's a little crude, but it's kill or be killed. And that's basically what it comes down to. Of course, it's a beautiful sport that requires years and years of dedication and sacrifice to reach the highest levels. But when it comes down to it, it's also a, 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 a savage sport when it comes down to it. It's the hurt business. And that's yeah. why when I looked at Corey, I said, Corey, I understand. Trust me, I understand. But that's your job, right? Yeah. Bottom no, line. That's, that, that's it. He's trying to do it to him. You know, yep. they're trying to do it to each other. So if it wasn't Frankie, it would have been Corey. But uh, I mean, that's the way it goes. And then after that, we saw Alistair Overeem. I think that was pretty quick as well. Oh, no, second round, second round. Second pardon round. Me. Second he took round. a pretty, uh, you know, one-sided beating from Volkov there. And again, again, I mean, Alistair Overeem, again, a true legend of the game. And wouldn't surprise me, even though he wasn't a champion, wouldn't surprise me if we see him in the Hall of Fame. If you look at the body of work that he had all the way back in the early days of Pride and fighting in the, the Dutch scene in Holland, and then now in the UFC, he was the K1 Grand Prix champion. The man is a true legend of the sport. And yes, he was trying to reinvent himself. He, he evolved. He was utilizing a lot more movement. But um, unfortunately, you can't, beat the clock. You can't yeah, outrun yeah. father time. And that's, that's what's right. happening. People get older and people slow down. Like look at Frankie Edgar. Frankie fights at 135 now. You know, he's been mm -hmm. around for a long time. Yeah. Guys, maybe my weight class, light heavyweight, heavyweight, they don't rely on speed and instincts. That's the main thing. But the light, the lighter weight classes, they rely on instinct or sorry, reflexes. You reflexes, know, they're going right. to be able to get out the way, get in and out, move fast because there's all light lightning down there at those lighter weight classes. And as you get older, the first thing to go, unfortunately, is the speed. Yes. And I think a few years ago, Frankie, that fight could have been different. But unfortunately for Alistair and for Frankie, they're getting on. Absolutely. And, you know, I, it was 2003 at Bombay in Kobe, Japan for Antonio Inoki. I announced that event for him in front of like 45,000 people. And back then, Overeem was walking in at 205 pounds with a hammer on his shoulder. Right. Yeah. I mean, what an evolutionary process this fighter has gone through. And he's definitely Hall of Fame. But man, when Volkov hit him, I felt every single punch he got hit with because you know what it, it's like to get hit by a long arm man like that with that kind of power. It's staggering, you know. Yeah, the, the taller they are, like I used to train with this one guy and he was very, very tall and he was skinny. He was very skinny. And you think, right. oh, this guy's going to pack no power. And by the way, I'm not saying bulk off skinny because he's anything but skinny. The man, he's, all, he's all legs. 
He's gigantic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the tall guys and the very, very long, they've got a lot of leverage, you know, so they, they generate a lot of power. And that left hook that put Alistair down was an absolutely sickening blow. And then uh, he followed it up. But uh, again, you know, Alistair, just like Frankie Edgar, he knows the score. He knows what this is about. He's, he's a veteran of the fight game. And unfortunately, you win some, you lose some. You know, when you start your career, you got to win them all you know, because if you want to be somebody, but then eventually if you stick around long enough and you're fighting the best guys in the world, like we do in the UFC, yeah. you're going to get beat here and there, you know? So that is the way it is. You know, you, you a- mentioned, you mentioned Sanhagen feeling uh, bad about uh, what happened to Frankie. And, you know, I just, it reminded me of that time that Bisping felt t- so terrible after what he did to Luke Rockhold. Like he was so <laughs> remorseful. <laughs> I was so remorseful. You know what? To be honest, poor old Luke, because it gets brought up all the time because we had yeah. a little thing. You know, the only thing was afterwards, I walked into the press conference and as I walked in to the press conference, okay, very cocky because the guy talked so much crap going into it and I had a yeah. beer in my hand and I'm walking in, I'm celebrating and I'm hearing him. He's on the microphone and he's literally saying, I'm going to kill Michael Bisping. I will destroy him. He's he's a terrible fighter compared to me. So when I walked in and heard that, I'm like, excuse me, did I hear this correct? I just knocked you out, pal. So it kind of went from there. But Luke's a, a decent guy. You know, yeah, I'm yes. sure he is. If I meet him in any other kind of circumstance, I'm sure we'd hit it off greatly. I always say uh, DC Daniel Cormier is a great guy who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And if Daniel Cormier has him as one of his close friends, then I'm sure he's a good guy. The problem is we meet under these circumstances. We're competitors. We're fighters. People clash. That's just the way it goes. Well said. Well put. Just on on that that Rockhold fight, I just want to say that I think, uh, you know, I I hate to say that I feel good about the fact that it worked out the way for you uh, that it did, Michael, because I'm, I don't know, impartial or something like that. But when I think about your career prior to that that Rockhold fight, I, I think about the idea that people were constantly sort of sizing up your career as the the large part of it was in the past leading up to that fight, that we're wondering what Michael Bisping would be remembered as. Is Michael Bisping a Hall of Famer up to this point? You got that Rockhold victory, and I think it actually got you a lot of credit with fans and media members alike that you had already deserved prior to that fight, but I'm happy that you got it on paper so that you are, you know, the, the, the bonafide Hall of Famer uh, that you are. Do you feel like that fight was needed to sort of cement your legacy in this sport, even though maybe you've already done enough to get the same sort of adulation that uh, you got after that fight? Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. And I, I definitely see where you're coming from. And, uh, you know, I'm, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I, I had a great career. I fought hard. I fought a lot of great people. But the writing on the wall was always Michael can win a lot of fights, but he never wins the big one. You know, so that's why going into the Anderson Silva fight for me, that was the biggest fight of my life at the time. And I treated that like my world title fight. I was so disciplined for that training camp. I mean, you know, when you're training for a fight, sometimes now and again, you'll have a cheeky glass of wine in the evening, maybe a bowl of ice cream here and there. You know, for that training camp, there was no cheating. Everything was perfect. I had a guy coming to my house and stretching me out three times a week. As I say, everything, every box that needed ticked, I did it. Uh, because, you know, I wanted to win that fight. It was Anderson Silver. It was in London. And I thought, everyone says I can't win the big ones. Well, I'm going to win this one. And I thought maybe I'd retire after that. And then... Um, you know, I got a call short notice to fight Luke Rockhold. Obviously, we know how it went. I won the belt. So, yeah, that kind of solidified, you know, what I felt and what my coaches and my team and all my family had felt. You know, I, I was very lucky. I had a lot of support over the years. And, you know, I was able to change the narrative, if you will, of my career towards the end. And, uh, 
you know, now I'm not public enemy number one, which I was for a long time. And I get it. When I was younger, I was, you know, I was surrounded by uh, a bad group of people, if you will. And, uh, you know, you're only as good as the people that you associate yourself with. And I'm not making excuses, but, you know, I was hanging around with some thugs and uh, they kind of encouraged me to act a certain way. So I played into that. Uh, then I got away from those bad influences and uh, I was able to turn it around and show the people who I really was towards the end. You know, I got to tell you something. That night when you fought Anderson Silva was a night that was not a fun night for me. And I'll tell you why. I wasn't there. You know, when you were, when, when I heard that that was one of the fights that uh, I was not going to be allowed, not allowed, I wasn't called to duty for, sure. which I was ready to be there because, you know, I, they want to break, you know, give me a break for every six shows. I was on the phone. It's like, I want to be there. I, this is a fight I want to announce. And then I watched it and it's just it was an incredible fight, obviously. But got to just say on a personal note, it really hurt me that I wasn't there that night. You know, yeah, just gotta share that. Just gotta share it's, that. It's never the same without you, Bruce. It really isn't. And I'm not I just saying it. that, you know, because everybody knows, you know what I mean? It, it's it's in the main event when it's time, it, it gets everybody's <laughs> blood pumping. It gets the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. And uh, yeah, because I've watched that fight back because I've got a documentary coming out, which you're on, Bruce. You uh, ah. very kindly lent some of your time. Uh, we, uh, we're just closing out who the distributor is going to be right now, just finalizing cool. the deal. Cool. So that'll be out soon. And so I've watched it back because obviously, Obviously, I had creative control and we tweaked the edits and things. So I've seen it a few times. And yeah, I think it's Andy Friedlander. Yes, is Andy the, Friedlander. Is the MC. And every time last I'm like, one. God last damn, one. <laughs> where is Bruce? Where is the buff? Come on, Bruce, you let me down. <laughs> well, we never saw Andy again after that one. So obviously some decision was made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, like, with, with, all, with all respect, with all respect. Of course, of course. I, yeah, with all respect, with hey, all respect. <laughs> you know, I, I want to talk about sort of, uh, you know, where you've come from, you know, at least, you know, in the UFC, Michael, to where you are now. Uh, you're a phenomenal commentator. I love listening to you on the call uh, every single time you're in the booth. But, uh, you know, I, I'm always brought back to the Ultimate Fighter 3 when uh, I believe it was you and Ross Poynton were the uh, guys from the UK. And, I mean, poor Ross Poynton, they had to use subtitles for that man uh, on the show so Americans like me could understand what he was saying. You not so much, but uh, I love the fact that you've gone from, you know, the, the ultimate fighter to Hall of Fame fighter to on your way to becoming one of the best commentators pound for pound in mixed martial arts. What is What has that journey been like for you? Because it seems like it's a natural fit. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, and I'll start off by saying, you know, I'm not going to give myself a pat on the back, but I'm very proud of what I've done, you know, because I've not a lot of people, you know, are able. So I was on the Ultimate Fighter and there was another contestant on there called Tate Fletcher. You probably know who that right. is. Sure. Does a lot of acting work these days. And I remember Tate Fletcher saying to me there, and it was some very good words. He said to me, Michael, and I didn't, I'd never met the guy before. We were just, it was like the first day there. And he said to me, Michael, we've all been given a grape here on the show. I'm like, you've been given a grape. He said, we've been given a grape. And it's up to us what we do with that grape. He said, some of us might go and make wine. And no, no, he said, some of us might just eat the grape or throw it away or whatever. Others will take that grape and go and make wine. He said, it's up to you what you want to do with that grape. And okay, you know, you kind of see the analogy that he's making. Uh, and to your point, I was subtitled when I first got on the U on the Ultimate Fighter. They did subtitle me. And now I'm actually commentating the fights. Uh, and it's funny because a lot of people now 
in England, I get a lot of shit. I, you won't hear it, but they say I have an American twang. And I do have a slight American twang. And it's like, listen, it's because I live in America. And sometimes right. they don't understand everything I say. So I'm smart enough to slightly, you know, ever so slightly just adjust the way I talk so I get understood. And then, of course, when I'm commentating or anything like that, I, I put on my announcing voice because the people at home have to be able to understand me. So I get a little bit of shit from the English crowd. They're like, what the hell, Mike? Why are you talking? in that Yankee accent. Can, can uh, you but, give us but, an accent maybe or, or an example of the of the accent that you're changing? Like something that you no, would say Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just very, very slightly because like if I'm back home in England, it, like I said, not really, really. But I said, not really. You know what I mean? Okay, just a little bit. Sure, we, sure. We, we, we speak so, a little lazy in the UK, certainly in the North. So you let just me, pronounce let, a little better, sure. you know? Let me take this a step further. For the benefit of your acting career, Right. The finest, some of the finest actors around, like such as the uh, Australian gentleman that was in the movie Warrior, alongside an English gentleman who played his brother, if you remember. Yes, yes, right? yes. Hardy. A Australian and English actors make some of the finest English actors speaking English. OK, so work on that, Michael, because mm. there's going to maybe come a role in the future where you're going to have to speak with an American accent straightforward. Oh, yeah. And that's part of acting. I've so tried yeah. it. it's not yeah. good <laughs> uh, in time. No, listen, in no, time. no, no, no. The, the, I, I get a lot of auditions, but I've got to do an American accent. And I'll be honest, don't ask me to do it because I'm not going to make a fool out of myself. <laughs> it sucks. I can do it a little bit. I can do it a little bit, but not good enough where it's consistent throughout. There's and one. so like, I go for these auditions and obviously my American accent sucks. And then I got an audition a few years ago for the latest, the last season of Game of Thrones. Uh, and I thought, oh, I'm perfect for this. And I love Game of Thrones. Didn't love the last season, but I love Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I'm so excited for it. And I did the audition. And I thought I killed it. And then my agent comes back. I'm, you know, I followed up. I said, any feedback? And he said, oh, well, the casting agent said they were a little confused by your accent. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, they think you sounded American because it's set, <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be an English accent. I'm like, what? So I sent it to a buddy of mine who's a director. I said, just listen to this and tell me. He's English. I said, tell me if you think I sound American. And he goes, yeah, a little bit. He said, just on certain words here and there. So, uh, so yeah, so now I'm screwed. I can't get American roles and I can't get English roles because I've got a little American twang. So I'm screwed. Well, here's one little test for you. Um, I know you got to go soon, so I just got, got one little test for you. And then one question. Uh, Audrey Hepburn in the movie My Fair Lady back in the early 60s was set with uh, an English actor named Rex Harrison in England. And she played a girl that did, wasn't uh, classy or you know, did not address or act properly as a woman. So they gave her a line to say, it's like, the rain in Spain lies mainly on the plane. Can you yes. say that in the America? Rain. Oh, the rain in Spain lies mainly on the plane. That's fine. See, the there you go. Rain, Bruce, the fucking rain, bro. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, you hey, got it. You got it. That's good. <laughs> that's so, that it, was it. That was it. It's interesting you picked those words, Bruce, because I was kind of thinking, like, what is an American accent? And then I was like, okay, well, I'm from the Midwest, and if I don't watch certain words, I'll, I'll say uh, roof instead of roof. Most people uh -huh. say roof. We say right. roof. Or yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, if I say my, my dad. My dad, I sound like someone yeah. from the, uh, the the Midwest. So, like, I, I don't know what American accent you're supposed to shoot for, Michael. You yeah. know, is, are, are you supposed to be like a California surfer bra or like, I, well, you know well, what I mean? 
Well, it depends on the role. I right, can do a southern accent pretty good. I can do the southern accent pretty. I find that kind of easy to do. Oh, you got you got you got to indulge us. We got to hear the nah, southern nah, accent. Nah, Come nah, on, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because I'm just going to get ridiculed. But I can do that pretty good, and I did some auditions for it. I almost got the part playing, uh, 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 you know. But not everybody's from Tennessee or wherever. Do you know what I'm saying? They're like, well, yeah. hold on, hold on. This is the part of a uh, a stockbroker from Wall Street. Why are you speaking <laughs> like you're from God knows where, right. deep south? Yeah. It's right. called research. It's called research. Exactly. Research the role. Yeah. You Period. don't know the backstory, Mr. Casting Agent. Okay. Yeah. Casting agents are funny. When I've gone on auditions, like, I don't know what the frig they're looking for. You know? Yeah. It's so hard. You walk well, out. Well, they don't know either, great- Bruce. That's the problem. Yeah. It's, well, that's the thing. Sorry, that's the go thing. ahead, Bruce. Yeah, no, you, you walk can... out, you think you did a great job, you have no idea, and then yeah. you think you did a lousy job, and they call you back. You well, know? of course, because I'm a bloody egomaniac. I go in, and I, and I walk out, I call my wife, I'm like, oh, I killed it. I killed yeah. it. I've definitely got this. Definitely got this part because I did an awesome audition. I feel really, really good about it. I was in shape when I went in. I've, I've been strict on my diet all week. I looked good. I dressed appropriately for the part, and I killed it. And I had real good banter with the woman. You know, we, 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 you know, we were struck up. Yeah. We had good chemistry. You know, I feel good about this, you know, and then you follow, you leave it a week, you hear nothing about 10 days, you follow up and they're like, nah, they went another way. But the thing is, you're, it, you're just probably not, well, this is what I tell myself, you know what they're looking for. They have a specific thing in the mind sometimes and you walk in and say, like, no, you, it was good, but it's not what we have in mind for the part. So you can't beat yourself up and take it personally. It's just, it's just the way it is. Got to have a thick skin. If you can't handle rejection, you should not be pounding the pavement as an actor. It's part of the game. Michael, I'm going to let you go. I know you got a lot to do and everything. Is there anything you want to tell the audience as far as your podcast, anything coming? Go ahead, plug it away. Yeah, not really. Um, You know, people know where to find me on social media. But uh, yeah, the podcast, believe you me, check that out if you like. But uh, Bruce, this is all about you and your show. TJ as well, of course. I appreciate Punch's Chance. I hope it absolutely kills it. It is delicious. Of course, everybody watching knows I'm not going to come on here and go, oh, God, that's bad. (laughs) Right. But let me tell you, and I'm honest, this is true. I'm not the biggest bourbon guy, but that is really, really nice. It's very, very nice stuff. So I do thoroughly recommend it. Best of luck with everything that you're doing. Of course, TJ and the podcast. And that's about it. I'll let you go. Thank you, Michael. A a total honor. It always is. Total pleasure, my friend. You're the man, Bruce. You're the man. TJ, take care. Look after yourself. All the best. I'll see you Saturday. uh, Saturday at 2.15. I won't be there this week, but I'll be calling the next two weeks in a row. So the 20th and the 27th. I'll see you on the 27th. You take care of Michael. All the best to you. Big cheers. No fear. Are you saying I'm going to put up with Joe Martinez? Yeah. I didn't no, say come that on, Bruce. <laughs> oh, God. Blow my brains out now, please. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Oh, take yeah. care. See you, Mike. <laughs> Hit me up anytime. Take all the best. God bless. Cheers, Michael. All right. There he is. What uh, a character. What a character. We will. Uh, Lay out here for five seconds. I'll hit the uh, intro, the rejoinder intro, and give you the cue. Okay. It's time to begin! (laughs) Who am I kidding? I'll let him do it. of MMA, Bruce Buffer. And we're back. I got to tell you, TJ, um, always a pleasure 
talking to Michael, working with Michael, having a drink with Michael, but having him on the podcast is a is a whole nother experience. He is Mr. Personality, isn't he? One hundred percent. And I think it's a personality that largely casual MMA fans don't fully understand. And uh-huh. unless you're around him or uh, can listen to him on his podcast or appearances like this, it's hard to really understand Michael Bisping the person compared to Michael Bisping the commentator and Michael Bisping uh, the athlete. And I feel like you're missing a, a big layer of Mike if you don't sort of see him in his more natural laid back environment. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, it's, it's just Again, watching his evolutionary process, being an actor, putting down his guns and going on. Because he is, he is, honestly, he is one of the best commentators in, in the game. No question for what he does. Is it, is it called commentator? Color yeah, man? So what do you call Michael? So, I mean, both the play-by-play and the color are commentators, uh, but he's a color commentator. Got it. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So now, um, with that, let's go on to some news because I want to talk about something. First off, TJ, I did mention that it is my 25th anniversary coming up, and I sent you over. Take a look at the lining. King King of Bay, I don't even know what it's going to look like. They're making me a special jacket. Um, I'm picking it up today uh, that I'll be wearing on Saturday, and that's the lining, if you can see in what I sent you there. Oh, yeah, I got it here. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, Bruce. It's uh, caricatures of every city, many cities I've debuted a jacket in the city it was in the jacket i wore and what we're going to do at king and bay this year is every pay-per-view this year they're going to be making and designing a special jacket so i'll have a special jacket for every single pay-per-view this year amongst you know some other items Mm -hmm. but that will be the lining for every jacket being that's my 25th year in the octagon and at the same time we're making special handkerchiefs or pocket squares as they call them which will be just like that so we're going to be selling them and donating partial proceeds to cancer research charity. Um, and you'll see that I'll be announcing it on my Instagram and that handkerchief at 125. We're going to talk collectibles here in a second. That is going to be worth three, four times that much probably by next year. Oh, 100 uh, percent. This yeah. is, a, I mean, truly one of a kind piece. Yeah, and I'll you know probably be signing and whatever the case might be. So keep an eye out. I have my special jacket. I'm so excited. It's such an honor for me to say I was in the octagon. I've been in the octagon for 25 years announcing these incredible warriors. It means it means so much to me as a personal achievement, and uh, I'm excited. Going to blow it out of the water. Uh, speaking before we blow it out of the water, um, the boss got busted. Bruce Springsteen got busted for a DUI. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, you know it's. Obviously, he'll get through it and everything. Hopefully, nobody was hurt. It was just reckless driving, consuming alcohol, and being a little, they claim, uh, he was very cooperative throughout the arrest, as I'm sure he was, because he's like one of the nicest individuals in the world. But, you know, people, this is just a lesson. Drink, don't drink and drive. You, you can have two drinks, and believe me, you're over the eight-point limit, seven, right. whatever it is. Yeah, these days. no, I mean. You got to realize how easy it is, and the police are only doing their job. If you're drinking away from home, period, yeah, have a ride lined up. There's no Uber, reason not to. No reason not to Uber, whatever. Just be careful. We hear it about all the time. Look what happened to the Kansas City coach, uh, his son. You know, now there's a five year old child. I understand a young boy, possible brain damage in the hospital, potential pills and drink involved. You don't want to go through one of these situations, folks. And speaking of the Super Bowl, Brady is definitely the greatest of all time. I just bought one of his uh, boxes of uh, tops cards, the original box that has his original rookie card in it. Uh, because it's just going gangbusters. We're going to talk collectibles here in a second. And with that being said, um, what can I say? I went the wrong way. 
I took Kansas City minus two and a half, and I told myself never bet against Brady. I was just going by all the stats, and I knew as soon as I turned on the game, and they said, "Oh, well, the two starting tackles for Kansas City are not playing the game," and I'm like, "There's nice five figures down the drain." But also, I kicked myself because a Brady paid me a great compliment, and I've said he's nothing but the greatest of all time forever. Why did I swing my bet and bet against Brady in his legendary run for the greatest? quarterback of all time he won bet against you that's all i'm saying i know i ate it and uh what can i do i'm the one that had to write the check so it's all okay <laughs> it's all good congratulations tom brady congratulations on the tampa bay buccaneers um it's amazing a quarterback comes in in the very first series with the team that usually takes two to three years to develop takes him to the super bowl proof he is the greatest of all time now tj he's not as awesome as his first cousin that's all i'm gonna say help me out you don't know who his first cousin is? You work no. with him. Oh, uh, Sean Shelby. There you go. There you go. Sean Shelby. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You remember when they talked about the story, the tragic story about the, uh, the the grenade that was bought as a toy for the little kid in North Carolina? And yeah. Blew up. Terrible you know, story. Yeah. Terrible story. Brian sent me a note here. <clears throat> Brian, as you know, my brother Brian was a uh, patrol officer and SWAT team uh, sniper leader first through the door of the whole nine yards and worked in Redondo Beach. Uh, retired at I think his 25 year mark. Anyway, he had a patrol car call on a World War II U.S. hand grenade that was found in a garage, mm -hmm. right? Just like this, it was live. Really, when they responded. It was live, and the sheriff's bomb squad responded, and they blew it up at the high school football field in Redondo Beach, right? So Brian actually had an experience where it could have gone the wrong way. Wow! It goes to show you if this happened in North Carolina, this happened in Redondo Beach, California. It's well, out, there. It's where, out where, there. I mean, yeah, that's what's concerning about it is like where are the ones that, you know, are not the news stories right now. You know, that they could be anywhere. They could be all around us. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you hear about these flashbang grenades. If you look on the notes I sent you, he sent me a picture of the grenade that he kept yeah, I saw on it. his desk. Says if everything goes to shite, you right. know, that kind of thing. But, I mean, the flashbangs, you see there's in movies and you can't see, you can't hear, but they could blow things up, too. He threw it into a bathroom in a high-risk uh, SWAT warrant and arrest and search. <laughs> it blew up the toilet. As well oh, as I mean, it's a concussive yeah. thing, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's the thing I think that people don't really realize about flashbangs is, yes, they don't uh, have the sort of frags uh, on them like a normal grenade does, you know, the, the shrapnel that uh, shrapnel. hurts you. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you uh, think about, you know, uh, a concussive, explosion uh the the surroundings the environment if they break they can become very lethal and, and deadly so it's it's yeah it's it, you got to be very very careful with how you use those things absolutely absolutely and um that's why you cooperate with the police when they you know have you pinned down in a bathroom so they don't, don't need care. to use flashbangs I think we've learned our lesson. I don't care what you're doing in life. You always cooperate with the police. Right. Yeah, you have to. Don't don't make that mistake either. All right. Now, as we're going forward here, I want to send my condolences and best wishes to the family of the legendary boxing champion, Leon Spinks. Passed away at 67, dealing with a five-year battle with cancer, including prostate cancer. Um, I remember seeing Leon. I met him many times over the years and watched him fight, of course, uh, live many times. But. The fact of the matter is, is Leon was suffering physically and mentally for a number of years. I remember seeing him at a UFC back in the early days, you know, and just like the warrior that he is. I mean, the joints, everything, not being yeah. able to walk the whole bit. I think there had to be something else. I think he was dealing with MS too, but Terrible. my best, 
but yeah, my best wishes, condolences go out to him for sure. Most definitely. You know, the Mavericks, uh, not to sway away, it's always hard to talk about something and then switch stories, but the Dallas Mavericks stopped playing the national anthem on the words of uh, team owner Mark Cuban. No reason was given. Um, they haven't played a game in front of any fans until this Monday, and they welcomed like 1,500 vaccinated essential workers, but they didn't play the national anthem. I wonder why. Can you? Can you? I maybe, mean, you know? I'm not. I'm not opposed to not playing the national anthem. Um, it, it seems odd to play it and then all of a sudden stop. But I mean, I don't know. I, I personally, I, I don't. This is the issue. We're at a very sensitive time with with everything right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, if this happened 20 years ago, I don't know if it's a news story. You know what I mean? But it, it could be something as simple as, look, we're in the midst of a pandemic and we don't want to have people close to one another any longer than we really need to. So let's get you in the building. Let's play the basketball game. Let's get you out the building. But at the same time, it, it does feel like if you do something and then all of a sudden you stop, that there's more to it, that there is a sort of statement. We may be guilty of reading into it too much, Bruce, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to read into it because I have a lot of respect for Mark Cuban. It's, uh, I almost love to see him run for president someday. But at the same time, he just has that kind of mentality. But I, I just don't reason. I don't think not playing the national anthem is a statement. I don't. Unless they say we're not playing the national anthem because of X, Y and Z, then it's a statement until then. I'm just not going to read into it. I agree with you. I agree with you. All right. With that being said, uh, let's go on to the collectible talk. I did something, TJ, you know, before we end the show, I want to go over this with everybody. Brian, of course, is the master at collecting. And I'm, I consider myself very adept also as I have for collecting for Jesus, 45 years, my life, all the stuff I've collected. I, the sports memorabilia we've discussed on the show is going crazy. So I'm doing a test. Uh, 1987 wax pack. Right. It's the second year of the Michael Jordan rookie card. Okay, so I went ahead and I have bought wax packs and I'm going to watch them grow and we're going to see how they're going. I paid three hundred seventy five dollars for this pack uh, just uh, two weeks ago. It's now selling for close to seven hundred and fifty in two weeks. Wait, we're going to watch. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Did it double then it doubled. It doubled in a week, two weeks. Maybe two and a half, two weeks. Because oh, my the Fuhrer, God. The Fuhrer to collecting 87, 86, 87, 88, and even 90, 89 Fleer wax packs with the Jordan rookie second, third, fourth years in them. They just sold a Jordan 10 PSA rated 10 card. It just sold for like 600 plus thousand dollars, TJ. I pulled one of these cards out of a 1986 Fleer Whack Pack. I told you in 1992, I paid $20 for it. And I sold the card rated probably eight or nine for 1112 years ago. Okay. I was going to buy a box of those 86 Fleer cards seriously considered three months ago, four months ago for $70,000. Remember I told you about that? Right. I remember. I could have bought that box for 200 back then. That box sold two weeks ago for 130 or 140,000. Bruce, please and- do not sell this new wax pack. I'm not selling. We're going to watch progression. So what I also bought is I bought a box of 89 Fleer basketball, which has, again, the uh, third year, six, seven, eight, nine, fourth year rookie Jordan card, amongst others in it, too. I paid $1,575 for the box, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's already selling for over two. I just bought this yesterday, but it's already selling on eBay for 2000 plus. But do you even have it in hand yet? 
It's already being shipped. It's being shipped. So, so in the in the matter of time that you've made the purchase to the point where you actually get it in hand, it's gone up in value. Yes, because people are selling it for that value. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I got lucky. This guy, I even made an offer to him and I got it the price. Then last thing but not least, 81 Tops Basketball. I sold the box of 81 Tops Basketball, which had the three panel, as you have, right. Jordan Bird rookie card. Yeah. I sold that for about 11, 1200 six years ago. I mentioned on the show many times, right? It sold for 4000 Then it sold for 8000 TJ, it just sold for $50,000, that box. $50,000. So what I did is, is I it, bought... Is, is this bubble going to pop? No, I've been in this game too long. The prices are set. There's so much money out there, and especially in economic times like this, that money is really spent like $5.2 million for Mickey Mantle card. There's right. so much collector money out there. So what you're saying is don't sell. Like, don't, don't if you sell. If you're holding any of this stuff, don't sell... Like, is there a price point that you sell? Like, what's the strategy? I The strategy is hold on to it unless you have, it's like real estate. Hold on to it unless you have to sell it. Unless you want to make a and different watch. investment or right. something unless happens make, and you need the money. Right. They're, they're gold bricks, TJ. They sell. I'm not talking prices on, oh, it's worth this, but nobody's buying. I'm talking prices that it's worth this and people are buying. Right. One last thing. 1981 Tops, I just mentioned to you. Now yep. I'm buying the wax packs. I bought about six of them in the last week, and I got them for around $399 each. TJ. They're already selling for over seven hundred dollars. Again, I've almost doubled my money. That, uh, we're gonna, we're, that, that's we're, that can't sustain. That, that growth cannot sustain. What? That's why we're going to keep track of these three items on the show. And I will tell you, as like the Mickey Mantle card I talk about that I paid four hundred fifty dollars for, that sold for eight, right. sold for eleven, sold for twenty five. Yeah. There's five days left of bidding, and the bidding on it now is at thirty five hundred dollars. That's insane. Already going up 100% this year, too, but people are buying it. So we're going to keep track of all this, a little a little test. I, I understand. These are basically modern-day cards. These are not old cards. I understand that the market dictates the price, but that market's got to slow down at some point. You would think it would because it's sped up, but here's the thing. The last dance with Michael Jordan, the special. That's, in, yeah. Invigorated this. That's the X factor. The special being done on Tom Brady is going to invigorate his rookie cards, and that's why I bought that box. He should okay. hit up his cousin, see if he's got some stuff, you know, or at least, you know, maybe like a line on getting some stuff, you know. Well, last time I talked to Sean, all he can talk about is his, his, he loves his girlfriend, man. He's the happiest guy I've ever seen. I, I predict Sean Shelby's going to get married in the next year or two. Uh-oh. Well, get I'm an invite a, to the wedding because I'm guessing uh, cousin Tom's going to be there. I might be so. I might be so. So we're going to go with that. Okay. Last thing on the 86, 87 Fleer basketball case. I used to be able 92. I could have bought this case for $4,000, right? I've told you how the case went for a half million. I told you I went for a million. Well, it just sold for almost 1.8 million, $800,000 more than it sold for three months ago. It's crazy. That's a lifetime of appreciation in just months, months. It's it's like real estate money. I've been sitting around in a beach house for a couple of years. It's 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 bonkers. So it's truly bonkers, Bruce. I don't know what to say other than that. Yep, 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 yep. So uh, here's another story here, and we're going to end the story on a real feel good story. Okay, um, a man rescued a young German Shepherd mix from a shelter named Sadie. Right, Brian Myers last September went to a New Jersey shelter and got Sadie. Four months later, Sadie did the same thing for him. He had a stroke in his home, right? 
She sat by his side, by his face, crying for him. She knew he was in distress, right? Myers grabbed a hold of Sadie's collar. She grabbed him across the floor to where his cell phone was. Okay. Wow. He was able to make the call. Wow. 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 Right? That's wow. A, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Anybody that thinks animals don't have feelings, well, then they don't have feelings. Okay? I, you know, I read a story about that, how they said, like, dogs don't love their owners. It's like, oh, it, come on now. Like, come on. Man's best friend. It's seriously. Like woman's th- best friend. There, there's a relationship between man and pet. And I mean, man is like species uh, that it's just indescribable at times. And th- these are one of those examples where it's just like, wow. Like, I go I go through it all the day here with Grace, uh, Kristen Sherman Shepherd. She rescued at seven years old, right? Grace has been with us for almost two years now. So when Kristen brings her over to the, you know, to, to the home office, I want to take Grace out for a walk so she can do her thing, right? Right. So we go out, she does her thing. I'm walking by my house. I want to go the other way for 20 minutes. We're in the middle of the road and she just stands solid. And I think she's sniffing something. She won't let me move her. And when I went back, all she did was walk me back to the front door so she could get back to Kristen. No matter where Kristen goes, she's there. She's at her door. When Kristen left the other day to get her leash and come back, she sat at the front door in the sitting position until she walked back in that house. Don't tell me dogs don't have feelings. Yeah, it's one thing that I've actually heard is sort of a downside of, of COVID um, in the sense that uh, a lot of animals have uh, become really attached to their their owners being home and with them and present for you know the last 10 months at this point. Um yeah. We're looking at it now where people are starting to go back to work and the uh, anxiety levels uh, that these animals are having due to the separation uh, of living, you know, a life that was much more normal prior to COVID. It's really torturous and and tedious on these animals. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a a bum out, but uh, it's been a fantastic year. If you're a dog, you know, if you uh, if you love being around your owner, uh, you probably uh, can't get enough of them. Uh, and, and COVID's definitely uh, provided that yeah. for for the pets. And also at the same time, the animal shelters out there for rescue dogs and cats and everything. They're they're getting depleted. People are picking up animals faster than ever. As That's great. Everything going on, which is great. All right. What a heck of a show. I mean, Bisbing, what more can we say? Uh, TJ, anything you want to tell the audience before you sign up? Sign uh, yeah, just check out Extra Rounds. It's on UFC Fight Pass. Myself, Dean Thomas, Ray Longo, Pearl Gonzalez, uh, always talking about the latest ongoings uh, with the UFC. We'll be live uh, immediately following the conclusion of UFC 258 this Saturday night. Uh, Kamara Usman taking on Gilbert Burns. Welterweight Championship uh, is on the line. You can tune in live on the UFC Fight Pass Facebook page, or as I mentioned, anytime you can get the archive uh, over on Fight Pass. And I will be in the octagon roaring the names of all these great warriors in a very special 25th anniversary King and Bay jacket, which I may wait to put on until the main pay-per-view event. But I haven't seen it yet, and I hope you all see it, and I hope you all like it. So there we go. Thank you, King and Bay. All right, TJ, thanks. Excellent show today. Um, everybody, thank you again. I'm doing a lot of Valentine's Day cameo messages and videos and audios coming in through BruceBuffer.com for Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter if they come in Saturday, the day of the show. I promise you I will complete all of them in time for your Valentine's Day on Sunday. I wish everybody a wonderful Valentine's Day for those loving couples out there as you walk down the aisle of love forever. And again, thank you for Puncher's Chance, which is selling like hotcakes out of the gate, fastest growing 
and selling young bourbon in America today. We're very, very excited. So with that being said, I've set my goals. I've written them down because when I step on that path, I always try to be the best I can be. And I hope that you do the same because then you're winning. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much. I'll see you from the Octagon on Saturday, 25th anniversary. God, I'm so honored to be able to say that. Oh, I thought you were going to say old. Uh, and a little older to be able to say that too because people say I grew up watching you well hey you're stuck with me for another 10 years or so love it or, or hate it love it or leave it I'll see you from the octagon have a great week Buffer out It's Time with Bruce Buffer is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of Buffer Enterprises Incorporated its content is intended for private use only Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.